0: Over,
1: over, hey gentlemen, good to see <laughs> you and hear you. How are you doing? Good, you? Good, thank you very much. Just to be clear, are you both starting name order here or have you done a switch on me just to confuse me?
0: That is the name
1: order. Fantastically organized. <laughs> we've done we've done cleared the first hurdle straight away. This is great. Uh, Timothy, maybe you could start, please. Tell me a little bit about who you are and your background for those that might not be aware.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, So I'm a producer and a journalist in Canada working, I work for a program called The Fifth Estate, which is our investigative documentary program at the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Um, like Panorama in the UK, if you're familiar with that, we'd be your version of Panorama. So we make one hour documentaries, investigative documentaries, um, and I'm a producer and a director with the show. um, And this guy next to me is uh, one of our presenters and hosts.
1: Excellent. Uh, Mark, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself too.
2: Sure, Stephen. Uh, Great to meet you. Uh, I am one of the co-hosts of the Fifth Estate, been with the program for about 10 years, uh, a 35-year career as a journalist here in Canada. And uh, Fifth Estate is Canada's premier investigative program. We've been on the – we're entering our 49th season uh, this year, and we tackle stories that deal with Canadians and Canadians uh, who are around the world, and that really brought us to the story of of, of the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, a global, global church that uh, has a presence here in Canada, huge presence in the United States, but one that got our interest and kept us uh, traveling around the world for some months last year.
1: Excellent. Well, I watched your expose, and it it was fascinating. It was certainly an eye-opener. For me, I mean, I know a fair bit about the theology, didn't realize how much money was involved and, and spe- spe- specifically where or where it isn't spent. So, I mean, before we get into the, the details, then it might be worth talking about the, the Mormon faith in general. For those who aren't too versed in it, I mean, in what ways does it diverge from a sort of mainstream Christian theology? What, what differentiates Mormonism from a sort of, uh, you know, a Catholic understanding?
0: Hmm. I'm not a theologic, theological expert, so I'm going to be careful about how much I pretend to be one. Um, I mean, I can tell you just a little bit about what we learned while we were working on the program, but I i mean, I, I can't really speak to the faith too deeply um, other than to say it is an organization that that is that exists around the world. It has uh, hundreds of thousands of members, millions of members around the
2: world. 17, 17 million members around the world, 300 temples, 74 countries i think stephen where it's really really known best is it's uh, it's a very you know in an age right now where we're seeing people losing faith in in religious institutions the mormon the, the first of all they do not like to be called mormons they this is the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and they even you know what where it's commonly referred to as the mormon church as we would who are not inside the church there are many inside the church who see that as uh, as even a slur. Uh, we don't intend, and we we commonly use that to reference, the Mormon church. Obviously, we, we do not intend to use that as a slur. It's just shorthand that's being used. I mean, the whole religion is built around the Book of Mormon, which is their Bible. So it is a, it is an, uh, a name that they use themselves. They just like to be referred to as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We're using the shorthand term Mormon faith, uh, the Mormons. But th- th- their their faith is strong, and their community um, their community is strong, and their their devotion is strong. and And one of the ways that you can really measure that is with tithing. And I'm sure a lot of your viewers viewers are familiar with tithing. It exists in all religions, but not exactly the same way. And what you know, what's interesting about the the uh, with the Mormon faith is that you are expected to uh, produce 10%, to give 10% of your annual income to the church every year. And this is not really being seen as something that's optional. As we talk to people who are both inside and outside the church, if you want to have full access to the temple, if you want to have full access to ceremonies like baptismal ceremonies, wedding ceremonies, you have to be a member of the church in good standing. And in order to be a member of the church in good standing, and there are several other things you have to do, the key key component of that is that you are a full tithing member. You are giving 10% of your annual income to the church every year. And this applies to children as much as it, it, it applies to, to working adults in the church. Uh, one of the one of the uh, people we even spoke to for this story, he said he began uh, uh, donating or making tithing donations to the church at the age of eight. So it is really, really uh, it's a, it's it, it is um, a measure of your commitment to the church to be a, uh, a, a Mormon in good faith by devote by uh, devoting that money to the church every year. And I think another thing that
0: sets it apart from other religions is the prolific outreach that the church does. I mean, I think they're known for their 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 missions and their missionaries going door to door with the the, the white shirts and the, and the <clears throat> the name tags and their Book of Mormon, you know, uh, educating people, asking people if they want to join. They, there is a they have a prolific outreach outreach program that is that is if you want to be a member of good standing it's one of the things you do is you go on a mission you're sent to a part of the world where you're supposed to share the religion and, and bring new members in if you can and I think the other thing about the church that people would recognize um, is their temples they have these massive massive incredibly designed buildings all over the world um, which are their places of worship and I think when you drive by one they stand out and you notice them I think those are two things that people will know about the Mormon church, even if
2: you don't know a whole lot. And we can, you know, we'll get into talking more about the finances of the church. But but with that, as Timothy's mentioning about that missionary work that they do, um, we, you know, we look at the numbers here in the church in between 1985 and 2019, Stephen, the church, according to some records, says that it devoted billion American dollars 2.3 billion dollars in humanitarian aid in 197 countries so that tithing money that's coming in uh it is being donated primarily for humanitarian aid and and the church does point to this figure to say not only are they doing missionary work uh which which is helping to grow the church around the world but it's also spending money on humanitarian projects in, in almost 200 countries around the world uh, but it gets interesting when you look at that number versus the extent of their
0: finances. You do that what people are concerned about inside the church is is are they keeping and saving and 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 sharing enough versus what they brought in? And that's I mean, we're sure we'll get into that as we move along here.
1: Definitely. And it, you just called to mind there uh, that the Book of Mormon with, you know, your, your description of the uh, the official uniform when people are proselytizing. And um, that was immensely popular. And I imagine that's the way most people, perhaps in Europe especially, would know uh, the, the Church of Latter-day Saints. And I was just wondering, into your mind, has that I mean, I suppose it's done two things in the way of, like, ridiculing the church and, you know, demystifying it, but also by making it look like a a bit of a joke in the the consciousness of people's, uh, you know, minds. Maybe it's helped detract away from some of their more sinister financial dealings.
0: I mean, certainly they're popular in in pop culture with there's a musical, obviously, about the Mormon church. Um, But I mean, for those who are part of the church, it's it's a very serious thing. It's 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 takes it plays a role in almost every part of their life how they live their life how where they work and how they work and what they do with their time and what they do with their spare time if you're an active member of the church it's something that you take very seriously and and care deeply about so um you know for them it's serious
2: yeah it's serious and, and i and i think I, I think one of the things that may work against the church in, in some ways is that a lot of the work it does is really internal. So uh, you, these are uh, members of the Mormon church who are helping other members of the Mormon church. And I think that's drawn some of the criticism that they've, they've been a little insular in their in their dealings. And although they, they go worldwide and they're, they're spending money. On humanitarian aid, it really does tend to be strictly uh, linked to Mormon based projects, as opposed to that they're they're going to be uh, running a soup kitchen uh, in a you know a busy corner in in downtown London or downtown Toronto and and opening their doors to anyone, the needy who anyone who would want to come in a, a, who needs a, a hot meal or or a place to sleep at night. The church doesn't do that. The church tends to really uh, look out for its own. And I think that part is, is part of what's drawn some criticism is it, it appears to be secretive, uh, that it, it's, it's not transparent, that it's not part of the broader uh, faith-based community. And I think that's drawn some suspicion and some criticism from people outside the church.
0: And we now know that secrecy is something they take really seriously when it comes to their money.
1: For sure. And that there is a lot of it. And um, I suppose just a general curiosity, in England, we have some very strict libel and defamation, def- defamation laws. Rather, we have to be very careful what we can say about people, certainly as it, as it relates to potential criminality uh, in the public. And I'm just wondering, in Canada, where you two are, it, what are the sort of rules and regulations? Is there anything that restricts what you can say about the church or do you sort of carte blanche to make any accusations you like?
0: We are, we're under the same legal system that you are in terms of libel. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have that's various defenses yeah, at our disposal. So we as long as as long as what we're saying is true and we can verify it and we have evidence to, to back it up and that it's in the public interest, um, then, you know, that's that's how we govern our work.
2: Yeah. And from the and from the very beginning of our investigation, I mean, we we reached out to the church and we reached out to the church periodically during our investigation. Um, we were always asking them for more information, background information, and of course, eventually a, a, a sit down on camera interview. So it, it's not like we were acting uh, outside the purview of the church we wanted as much information from the church as we could get as we started getting information as we started getting tips as we started doing interviews we wanted always to get the church's response to some of the claims that were being made so we're also guided by that and our responsible communication with the church we've kept an open dialogue as much as we can and we we urged them for months to sit down with us uh for an on-camera interview but eventually that that didn't happen
1: Strangely, yeah. So maybe you can explain as well in terms of what charitable status means in, in the context of tax, uh, tax in America. How, how is this a, an advantage for charitable organizations?
0: Well, for charitable organizations, and, it's, and again, not a tax lawyer, so I'll, I'll tell you what I know. But broadly speaking, um, if you're a religious organization, either in Canada or the U.S., um, then you're you're exempt from taxes for things that you, for donations that you take in that are for charitable purposes. And that's the key is these donations need to be for charitable purposes or the running of the religion. It can't be for, you know, it's not for anything you want the money to be for. That's how the rules are written. Um, and it's the same in the UK as I understand it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's always struck me. I mean, you two are based in, in Canada and I always look at the, the Mormon faith and I, I appreciate you don't want to dwell on the theological aspects too much but i mean the idea that jesus will not only return but return to missouri it's a very very american religion isn't it
2: yeah yeah it is and 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 you know it goes back to joseph smith finding these golden plates in in the hills of upstate new york and and there 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 was testimony that had been carved into these plates and that were these were the guiding principles of the church as they then expanded across America. And this and one of the things that I think it's really important to talk about, even in the context of this investigation, is um, because this is a church that uh, a religion that believed in polygamy, it found itself being kicked out of jurisdiction after jurisdiction where polygamy was outlawed. So as the church was founded in upstate New York, it eventually moved, it continued to move west. And this is part of the whole narrative of the church moving west in the United States until eventually it would settle in, uh, in Utah, in Salt Lake City, where its, its, its main temple is right now. And that is the spiritual home base of the church. And, and in doing so, the church has always sort of lived by this narrative that it has been persecuted, that it has been a, a victim of religious attacks uh, and, and this is part of, I think, what has, has, has formed that insularity that I was referring to earlier, that they've felt often that they've been under attack, and they've always had to justify who they are, what they believe in, and what they do. So there's that tension that has worked with the church. Eventually, uh, uh, when they started banning polygamy, that's how the church ended up in Canada in the, in the uh, late 1800s, is that a sect of the church... Uh, crossed the border into southern Alberta in the, in the Rocky Mountain area uh, of North America and set up its first outpost in 1875 in Canada. And that's where the first uh, Mormon temple outside of the United States was actually built in a little town called uh, Cardston, Alberta. So, so that part of the history is something I think really still guides it to this day because when talks started coming up about the church's financial dealings, its tax-exempt status, where it spends its money, what it's disclosing, or what it's not disclosing—often this is a sort of uh, chalked up to another uh, religious persecution by the media or by by governments or whoever it may be that's raising questions, or especially by some former members of the church who draw a lot of criticism from current members of the church from somehow betraying their faith by criticizing the church. And that's how we got started on this story, which was we
0: we were contacted by a member of the church. Actually, he was currently a member of the church and still is currently a member of the church. Um, and he reached out to us at our email address at the Fifth Estate and said, look, I'm a member of the church. I've been grappling with something for I think it was five years, which he was just trying to understand this this thing that he discovered. He was an accountant. Um, He'd done the finances for others' churches as an accountant, so he knew how church money is organized and what he can access publicly. And he was able to access the documents for his own church. And it raised some really serious questions for him about what the church in Canada was doing with its money. He found out as he saw with other churches that they were donating to a lot of charities outside of the church what he noticed with the mormon church was they were primarily donating to only one charity in canada and they were donating a lot of money to this one charity and it was a university in the u.s that the church happened to own and he said why are canadian mormons sending hundreds of thousands sorry million hundreds of millions almost a billion dollars from canada to the u.s to a university that they already own and why is that a charitable giving and that's what started this whole thing for us was he he raised that question for us and we took it from there
1: maybe you can tell us a little bit about the hierarchy here because obviously there's you know central operations would be salt lake city unless i've, I've misremembered that uh i mean obviously we, when you look at catholicism people talk about the pope scientology's miscarriage who has the authority to make wide-reaching decisions within the mormon church
2: well, it's all it's all based in Salt Lake City, and you've got a you've got a group of uh, apostles who are the hierarchy of the church. And and it is a very highly centralized operation. And, and this this also becomes relevant to when we start seeing uh, how money is being spent around the world. Uh, there's certainly a lot of evidence that would say that everything is coordinated out of Salt Lake City and and more than just coordinated out of Salt Lake City would be that the the real central plan, as has been explained to us by members and former members of the church, is to try to get as much of that tithing, global tithing money sent back to Salt Lake City. And from Salt Lake City, it then emanates around the world. It's spent around the world on projects, or it's put into funds, secret funds that, that we started learning about and others started learning about. But that decision-making itself would be based with the hierarchy in Salt Lake City.
1: So what are the theories as to what this money is being held back for? There's large sums of money that just seems to be sitting there, not, not, nothing happening with it, certainly not going to legitimate charitable causes. What, what are some of the theories behind why they're just sort of hoarding this amount it's of not money?
0: A, it's, it's not a theory. They're explicit about what the money is being saved for. And it's being saved for this the return of Christ, so this this money and I mean, we're going to get into the the, the figures here. They have a hundred billion dollar fund in the United States, a billion, hundred billion dollar fund um, that was held in secret for many, many years. They actually broke it up into smaller shell companies and and had hidden it from the from the public and the regulators to a certain extent. Um, and this money, they say, is for the, you know, the second coming. When Christ comes, they want to have grain in the silos and money in the bank and and they want to be ready for it. And that's what this money's for. But what's what's happening is they're they have this 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 they're bringing in so much money from their members um, that they they're not spending it. It's just stockpiling and stockpiling and stockpiling to the point it's reached you know in excess of a hundred billion dollars. Uh, and they say it's it's for
2: when Christ comes. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's, it's known colloquially is known as a a rainy day fund, um, which. You know, everyone can understand that you set aside money for for a rainy day. And, uh, you know, Mitt Romney, who was a former United States uh, 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 candidate for the U.S. presidency, he's also a very well-known member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he said, yeah, you know, we've raised $100 billion for this rainy day fund. He says, "That's actually, it's more like a rainy decade fund the way that that he puts it and this is a point of pride for people in the church that they've been able to accumulate this wealth uh so it will be there as timothy's mentioning for the second coming of christ or for whatever they need it for but that's what what they've 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 set it aside for is for the purposes the activities the operations of the church Uh, but that's drawn a lot of criticism because to get tax-exempt status it needs to be uh, don't uh, it needs to be used for religious, educational, or charitable purposes? That's what makes it tax exempt. However, what further investigation into that one hundred billion dollar fund would show that they've invested in uh, Google stock and Apple stock and and shopping malls and and commercial real you know t- office towers and things like that that do not meet that bar of religious educational charitable purposes and that's why there's drawn a lot of criticism is this really a uh, a a tax exempt fund that they should be enjoying or should this be taxed like any other business that is accumulating its wealth and one of the reasons it's been able
0: to accumulate like it has is because they're not paying taxes it's able to accumulate even faster than someone else who is trying to build a fund because they're not being they're not paying taxes on it
1: yeah, and I suppose that the reason I said we we'll use the word theory, so I, I'm uh, willing to accept on the face of it, this money's being hoarded for the second coming of Jesus. I'm not sure what sort of theological reasons are but for, for that. Uh, it doesn't seem to fit into the idea of Jesus. Most people have that he'd be interested in in wealth uh, when he returned, of course, but I'm always suspicious of people at the top of religious institutions and organizations, especially when they're asking for money from their congregations. These are people who I believe are sincere in their faith and believe and are, you know, teething uh, in just the way they feel they're supposed to. I, I seem to remember a quote in your documentary that really stood out to me, your expose, a member of the church quoting uh, something to the, the you know the fact that if you've got a choice between buying food or, or you know don- donating to the church donate to the church because you know the church will look after you in terms of food so that's how important it is to people and it's pushed on them even if they're you know impoverished that they must give money to the church and i'm always deeply suspicious of people at the top who are living a comfortable life taking all that money is, is there a possibility here that they're their uh, theological beliefs are not sincere, that this is a, a personal greed thing rather than a theological one?
2: You know, we, we've spoken a lot of people to us. Like, like any investigation, you tend to just follow the money. Is Where is that money ending up? And sure, there, there there's some concerns from people in the church, even uh, current members of the church who wonder where, where that money is going. Uh, I'll give you an example. I mean, here's a church that's sitting on $100 billion in, in assets. And yet w- what it did recently, is, as we were told during our investigation, this is a small example, but a digestible example, is that they started, they used to have in their beautiful, these beautiful temples, they used to have paid cleaning staff and then at a certain point they said well why are we paying people to clean our temples to clean the toilets in our temples we can just get uh, our own church members to volunteer so so they would do that and and later when it came out the existence of this 100 billion dollar fund i mean we spoke to people who said why are we not paying people who need a job to be doing this and and we're Volu- we're getting volunteers. People who currently have jobs to come in and volunteer to clean our toilets to save a little money. Do we really need to do this? So you start getting this real examination of 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 why we're collecting this money, who we're collecting it for, what's it all about, and and one of the reasons, and, and that was uh, conveyed to us, and and this is. I I think we can call it speculation. I mean, it it was there was one person in the hierarchy of the church who may have alluded to this as well, though, that said the church didn't want to disclose to its own members the existence of a $100 billion fund of of assets because they thought that that would discourage um, struggling members of the church from giving their 10 percent tithing. That what would be the incentive if if you're a struggling person, and especially as the church is now expanding into Africa, South America, uh, developing countries where people don't have the money to spend on this. And you're going there and asking them to give 10 percent of what little they already have. uh, What's the incentive to do that when you know that back in in Salt Lake City, they're sitting on a hundred billion dollar wealth fund? I mean, it, it, it's also in the investigation that was coming out that they are the biggest landowner, that the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the biggest landowner in the United States by far. Imagine that. So it, it's, it's not just that they've invested in stocks and the stocks have done well. I mean, this, this is really a, a very, very savvy business operation. As one of the whistleblowers in our story would say that, you know, some would say that this is a religion dabbling in business, he says, as far as I'm concerned, it's a business dabbling in religion. And, I, and some of the people we spoke to, one of the former members
0: said, like, we've got this fund that they describe as a rainy day fund. And he said, look around. It's pouring out. There are people starving. There are you know earthquakes happening. There are forests burning. There are like, it's, it's raining. It's pouring right now. So let's take some of this fund that's supposed to be for a rainy day and let's use it. There's $100 billion of it. So let's share it and um and he's concerned obviously that that's not happening
2: which is why he left the church and if you want to do get in and you were alluding to it before Stephen, the sort of the theological <laughs> rationale of the second coming of christ as as some of the people we we interviewed for this story who who had left the church and you know they were they were now becoming quite cynical about the church's motives with its money uh, but when they're when they're looking to say if There is a second coming of Christ. If we enter this this time of fire and brimstone, hellfire that will engulf the world, does the church really need $100 billion at that point? Is money really (laughs) going to be what's going to be the key to salvation at that point? What difference will it make if the world is in that state? Or Google stock? (laughs) <laughs> or Google stuff what would that be worth in the event of the second coming of Christ. I mean, these are just some of the things that that people were telling us during our investigation about how they felt that perhaps the church was stretching the you know the religious rationale to be able to justify the this vast vast accumulation of wealth.
1: Yeah, I think every time you you one of you two says a hundred billion my brain tries to process that amount of money then instantly malfunctions because mm-hmm. uh, that that's an unfathomable amount that could do a lot of good for a lot of people as you quite quite rightly say are in need of it uh, maybe we can touch a little bit more on the university in in Canada and uh, this is a Mormon university uh, do people have to be part of the faith to go there or is it is it open for anyone to apply to?
2: Well, just to be clear, the university is actually in the United States. So this is the interesting Sorry part of our investigation is that uh, as the there's, there's about 200,000 members of the Mormon church in Canada. So it's not it's not significant. It's relatively small percentage. But through the tithing money collected from that to 200,000 people, uh, that money that they're collecting, a good chunk of it. Is then crossing the border and being sent down to Brigham Young University, which is the university owned and operated uh, by the church just outside of Salt Lake City in Utah. Uh, Do you have to be a Mormon to go to that church? No. Uh, The reality is, though, 98% of the people who do go to that church happen to be members uh, of of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So it is is really being seen as um, sort of a branch operation, if, if you will, Uh, of of the mormon church owned and operated owned and operated by the mormon church but here's the thing when we're talking about okay so why would they be doing this is that if the if if in canada the church wanted to take all this money that's collecting through tithing and give it to the mormon church in in salt lake city give it to the head office if you will that money would be taxed so they can't do that or they would lose a good chunk of it through taxes however if the Mormon Church in Canada wants to give that to a educational institution in the United States that is listed as a qualified donee, that they're allowed to give that money and it would be seen as a charitable donation, they can do that. And it just so happens by giving the money to Brigham Young University, then, then it can be tax exempt. So it's been seen by some critics as being a bit of a shell game that the real goal, as which, which we were uh, talking about earlier, is to centralize the money of the church, but try to do that in a way that will keep it tax exempt. And, and there's some belief that that's why uh, a, the Canadian population has been uh, funding a private American university there because it will benefit from tax exempt status. But the other catch to that is, in order for it to be tax exempt from, from Canada's tax laws, There has to be Canadians going to that uh, educational institution, so you just can't give it to any school if there are no Canadians going there. So are Canadians going? Are they part of the 85,000 students at Brigham Young University? Yeah, they are. Less than 2% of the student population happens to be Canadian. doesn't matter. As long as Canadians are going there, it means they can enjoy tax-exempt status. And that's exactly what the church is doing. So it's perfectly legal. And what and it was it was through our tip from this uh, this Mormon accountant that we were able to uncover uh, just how much money a billion dollars had been sent south of the border. But again, it's perfectly legal for them to do that. But some question, even people within the church question: Shouldn't we be spending that money here in Canada for the needs of of, of Mormons in Canada or even non-Mormons in Canada because there is this desperate need? Uh, It it owns so many places right now, and that money could do so much good instead of funding a very, very, very wealthy private university in the United States.
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And you point out something quite important in your expose as well. And that's how unaccepting the church is of same sex relationships uh, in general. And this is obviously played out on, on, on campus as well. And I was just wondering, how does that how does that interact with any sort of equality laws um, that may be present to protect people for their you know, sexual orientation in the fact that they could potentially be discriminated against by the church?
0: Yeah, the, the, the way that the university operates, the university in particular in the US and the church itself too, um, I mean, they have rules at the university that I you wouldn't be able to have at a Canadian university. Um, I mean, one of the rules is that you can't, display any same-sex behavior. But you, you can have a same-sex relationship, you just can't display it in you any can't way. Act on it. You can't hold hands, you can't kiss the person, you can't even sometimes, You if you spend time in a, in a room with someone who's the same sex, you can get reported to the honor code office, um, and you can be kicked out of the university for breaking that rule. Uh, it's, it's not a rule. I mean, it, the values of most Canadians wouldn't be in line with that, and the university in Canada couldn't operate that way. But they do in the U.S., and Canadians are helping fund this university in the U.S., and that was one of the things we wanted to show in our documentary, that this is what is being funded. This tax-exempt money that's moving across the border
2: is funding a university that behaves this way and treats
0: uh, same-sex people this
2: way. And it's and it's also part of that, Stephen, is that it's it is a private institution, and, and that does also protect it from uh, some of those quality laws that you're referring to, and, and they have been challenged, uh, even by, by uh, students at the school themselves have challenged challenged these rules, but not successfully, so that that gives them a sort of uh, the protection from that that scrutiny. And not the protection from the criticism, but it gives them that protection and allows them to uphold the honor code, which is consistent with uh, the faith and the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day
1: Saints. Okay, so we've just discussed how this basically works from a financial perspective and a tax perspective between the USA and Canada. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about how Australia features in this.
2: Yeah, Australia is, it's it's a it's an interesting case there because uh, unlike Canada and and I and I believe the UK that in Canada when we make a uh, a donation to a church it becomes tax exempt on the spot once you make that donation Australia changed its laws though so it didn't work that way so by giving money to the Mormon Church in Australia uh, I as as the as the donor I don't get. I don't get a tax break for making that. I only get a tax break if the church then spends that money, uh, donates that money to charity. So if if my money to the church is then given uh, for a charitable donation, I will enjoy a tax break. So in 2014, and, and there had been a recent tax, tax code change in, uh, in Australia. In 2014, the Mormon church in Australia donated about two hundred thousand dollars to charity then there's a change in the tax law and then what they notice is that five years later suddenly the church in Australia is donating 73 million dollars to charitable to charitable organizations annually annually so they went from in one year that was two hundred thousand dollars And then the next year or five years later, it's $73 million annually. Now what happens there? Well, all that $73 million, because it's being uh, earmarked and given for charitable donations will now be eligible for a tax break. So there was an investigation that that we were working along with uh, colleagues at the uh, Sydney Morning Herald and 60 Minutes Australia as well. We pooled our, our resources to work and look into this. How could it be that suddenly, you know, within the short period of time, uh, uh, the Australian Mormons got to be so incredibly, incredibly uh, charitable, donating so much of, uh, of their money there. The suspicion being that perhaps, just perhaps, it could be that money is being funneled from head office in, in Salt Lake City through this uh, church in Australia in order to... To, for it to get that generous tax break. And that's the belief that some people have in Australia, former members of the church who have filed complaints because they think that this is a bit of a, a tax shell game and it could be a case of fraud. And, and that's why there have been complaints that have been filed with the tax office there to look deeply into this, to see if this is money that is coming from the United States to there just for tax purposes. And if, it that's, if that's the case, that is illegal according to the tax code in Australia. And, and one of the suspicions and questions
0: is, the church itself has its worldwide giving program. Um, and it its worldwide giving figure was around $70 million a year. And so the suspicion was, is the church routing its worldwide giving through Australia so that Australians can have the same tax benefits the rest of their members have in other parts of the world? So it would stop giving would, the money would wouldn't be donated donated out of uh, Salt Lake City anymore. It would just would be moved and donated out of Australia. That was the question that everybody had, and that it was it was borne out by this sudden spike in gener- generosity, timed exactly with a change in the tax laws in Australia. And as Mark said, there there is an investigation going on there around that. And so
2: what we're starting to see, Steve, oh, as we as we start. A, with our investigation. As Timothy said, it started with a tip about where, where's why is Canadian money going to the United States? And then we look in the United States and it's like, why have they collected a hundred billion dollars in this fund? And then we hear about Australia and it's like, why is this all this money being a, you know, routed through for charitable donations there? And, and there seems to be a consistent story uh, that goes from country to country to country that they're maximizing their tax exempt status. Uh, They're they're using existing uh, perfectly legal tax laws to be able to benefit for the church, uh, to maximize the most from their their investments that they have. But a lot of people are just wondering right now, if, if this is a loophole, should this be a loophole that should be closed? Because at the same time, while it's benefiting the church itself, It's also costing the Treasury in all of these countries as taxpayers, because the minute you get a tax break, it comes at the expense of the Treasury. So if we're looking in Canada, for example, where a billion dollars goes down to Brigham Young in the United States, that's tax exempt money. If 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 taxes had been paid on that, that would benefit the Canadian Treasury to the tune of two hundred and eighty million dollars. That's tax money that would be would, if it could be taxed, that would be the tax. That would be the money going to the Canadian government to spend on healthcare, to spend on schools, to spend on roads, whatever it may be. And yet it is not. It's withheld because of this tax exempt status. So that's the question that people are having. That sure the church is enjoying these massive tax breaks, but they come at someone's expense. And the expense is the everyday taxpayer, the everyday ratepayer in these countries. And that's why the questions are being asked by members and non-members about wondering about the ethics of what the church is doing, not the legality. It may be legal and there's some questions and investigations yet to be concluded, but it's the ethics of doing what they're doing and why should taxpayers be picking up the tab on a church that has a $100 billion rainy day fund? Is this really an organization that needs a tax break? And that's the question that some people are asking
1: yeah i mean it's interesting the whole distinction between legal and ethical where tax is concerned especially when that much money is involved and it's been a topic of conversation in the uk with quite a few prominent uh, entertainers and personalities which who were discovered to have sort of offshore accounts and they, they found loopholes and like you say they, they were not doing anything illegal whatsoever but just because of the impact on the you know the, the potential impact on society and social welfare and things like that it was very bad for their reputation in the press and many of them voluntarily paid that money back so about- i mean he-
2: But sorry, Stephen, but think about that where you're talking about you may be talking about athletes. You may be talking about uh, big corporations. You may be talking about well-known entertainers. And then that's one thing. And we can we can have a a debate about the ethics of that. But we're talking about a church. We're talking about we're talking about an organization that is supposed to be uh, acting in, you know, with the leading up the example of Christ. And this is where the question of ethics. I mean, this isn't just a sort of a PR point that this is the foundation of the church. And, and this is why the, some of the former members who spoke to us during our investigation, they said, if we're supposed to be living our best life, you know, following Christ's example, is this what Christ would do? And, and these, are, these, these are questions that are asked, you know, very seriously by members of the church. If we're supposed to be living, following Christ's example, is this the best example of, of, of keeping this money uh, of, of not spending it you know we're you've got members donating it for charitable purposes and yet it's it's sitting in a massive fund making great returns every year and not being spent on that rainy day when as timothy said people are saying it's pouring if you're waiting for a rainy day it's here
1: i mean see so that that ethical argument works on me perfectly I completely agree with it and it's convincing and it's enough for me to point the finger and say that's unethical and it shouldn't be done. But we see this happen all the time, especially where religion authorities concerned. America's a breeding ground for multi-millionaire televangelists, for example, on private jets, and their congregation don't seem to care about that fact because they tend to believe they're doing what God wants. Isn't that a major issue in terms of making an ethical argument that perhaps the ethics you and I would talk about are not necessarily the ethics understood within a particular religious framework?
2: I mean, I, I suppose so, but, you know, as we were talking about before, Yes the church is, is is actively spending money on humanitarian projects around the world now. It's it's a drop in the bucket really for their overall but it does give them in some ways moral cover to be saying we are spending this money. We are spending money on on the operations of the church. We are spending money on on activities that are going on in the, in the temple. But they are bringing in so much money and as part of their ethics, saving for this second coming of Christ. I mean, that's very foundational for them. So, you know, we can criticize the church for saying you should be doing more now. But for them, the second coming of Christ is is really one of the main purposes. Preparing for the second coming of Christ is one of the main purposes of the church itself. Mm -hmm. So until that day comes, they are doing something they would consider moral and ethical because they're preparing for that
0: day. And it's and that is something that they genuinely, from what we can see and what we've read, genuinely take very seriously. It's a it's a very core part of 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 their faith, and and for them it's how they uh, rationalize this or explain this to themselves and to the public, which is why they do it. Where it starts to break down, I think is then why hide it, like if this is so. Uh, foundational to what you believe and what you do, then why hide it in shell companies and, and why hide ownership of property? And I think that's where the questions start to come. And one of the people we interviewed, his name is Ryan McKnight, and he's he runs a group or ran a group called Mormon Leaks. Um, he's, a for, he's a former member who um, stumbled across some information that he made public and became this lightning rod and people started sending him stuff. and And his big question was, And his big point was like, just be transparent, like be who you are, be transparent, and then people can judge you how they're going to judge you and decide what they want to decide. And maybe you're going to lose your tax exempt status. Maybe you won't. But be honest and be transparent. And that's where that starts to break down that that rationalization is there's been a lot of hiding of, of this money.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and just to briefly tie it back to Australia, you mentioned there that there, there's an open investigation now into the tax affairs. I mean, do we know that for sure in, in your um, expose seemed to imply that, you know, the, the government were very cagey about talking about whether or not something officially is happening, obviously, to keep that personal until there, there's an outcome. Has there been any updates or follow-up on that to give you hope that there is uh, an official investigation underway?
2: No, and we, we did have the interview. I mean, that was sort of the... The, the irony of the situation there is when this, uh, you know, this charitable giving, this incredible spike, the church of charitable givings had been made public through some great work that had been done by journalists down in Australia, and pointing to the $73 million that that, that suddenly the, the church is, is is giving to charities there. Uh, that then the opposition critic said, well, we need an investigation. and And he thought that there was something very troubling foot there that it looked like this was really just a, uh, a tax shelter scheme. And then months later, he becomes the minister that with a change in government, he becomes the minister in charge of charities. His name is Andrew Lee. And when we had the opportunity to uh, interview him, we asked him, well, is there an investigation or not? You demanded an investigation when you were in opposition. Now you're in charge. And he says, well, the tax office works at arm's length from the from its political masters so we cannot confirm or deny whether there is an investigation underway so simply we don't
1: did he know. did he do a little wink when he was telling you this at the same time like <laughs> a little.
2: he, he, he didn't and, and i'll tell you he, he he gave two back-to-back interviews one one to us and one to our colleagues at 60 minutes And uh, he sat in that chair and was pummeled with questions for a good 15 minutes and never gave the wink wink. So uh, we we don't know. But I mean, he was certainly telegraphing that he he didn't think he he said it would be unhealthy for the uh, the uh, Australian tax system to give the appearance that some people are paying their fair share in taxes and others are finding tax shelters in a way to use tax avoidance. So he was telegraphing the idea that there should not be a two-tiered system and everybody should have to pay their fair share in taxes. Does that, was he referring to the Mormon church? We don't know.
0: Uh, one thing we can say though, is there was recently a fine in the United States. Um, just, just a month ago, the Mormon church was fined $5 million by the SEC um, for failing to properly disclose its investment fund. So what they did is they broke their investment fund into smaller companies, um, numbered companies, shell companies essentially. Um, And the SEC was arguing the reason they did this was to hide it uh, either from them or from the public um, and we know that the church has since acknowledged they didn't want its members and the public to know about this fund. Um, but as a result, they weren't—they were accused by the SEC of failing to properly report the various, you know, parts of their investment fund. And as a result, um, have have f- are facing a five million dollar fine in the United States for trying to hide that fund, which is no longer hidden. So there is there has okay, been some so action. I mean-
1: yeah, I mean, that obviously indicates there are some people there who are obviously trying to get away with not paying tax and, and using, um, you know, blatant means of deception to do it. Um, has there been any official response to you from the church? Is the church uh, an entity that tends to respond publicly? Do they have a, a well, PR arm that responds to things like this? They
0: do. As Mark was saying, we were in conversation with them for months leading up to this our documentary, and I was I was on their phone with with their their head guy guy from their PR department who said over and over and over again, we want to do an interview. We want to help. We want to give you an interview. And I said, great. We want to do one. This is great. They want to give one. We want to do one. And when can we do it? And this went on and on and on to the point where we finally said, okay, well we're going to air now. So now is your last chance to do this interview. And they went, hold on. You're just telling us now you're going to, no, we're not just telling you now I've been telling you this for months. Um, So at the end of the day, No interview was given. We never, we did get an official statement from them that essentially said we didn't break any laws, um, that we are, you know, we we give to charity. And these are all points we made in our documentary. We made, made sure that was reflected in our documentary, but ultimately we weren't able to ask them the questions we wanted to ask, which is about the ethics of this. And about the um, you know the allegations in Australia and the uh, the allegations in the U.S. that it's that you know should it be paying taxes? We weren't able to ask those questions. They basically said we're following the law, um, we're giving to charity, uh, and that's that's what the right thing to do, and we're doing it. But we weren't able to follow up in any kind of meaningful way on that.
2: And following this 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 five million dollar fine that they've been ordered to pay by the Securities Exchange Commission, they did put out a uh, a release with. Uh faqs on it but I'll, I'll give you an idea that the, the, the church is always sort of taking it finds a very wonderful way it always finds the high the high ground in every situation so even when it's being ordered to pay five million dollars for failing to disclose its its wealth in this particular this was a 32 billion dollar fund that they they were told that they didn't properly disclose they they will word it in a way that says i like this we reached uh We reached resolution with the SEC. We affirm our commitment to comply with the law. We regret mistakes made and now consider this matter closed. So there's a way that even when they say they were wrong, it still comes off, it's, it's this, we were just doing what we thought was right until someone else told us it was wrong and we regret the fact that we made a mistake. It's Mistakes interesting. Were we're made.
1: Is, before, that, is that Richard Nixon? It's very Richard Nixon, that, isn't
2: it? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, when you were asking before about the church hierarchy, and it's interesting that some of the people in the, in the, some of the apostles are people who come from very strong business background. You think that in most churches, people come from a a, uh, a, a religious background that they've, 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 that they've been in the church for years on that religious level. And yet so many in the church here who have come from a business background, because that's been seen as really um, the re-emergence of the church. If, if we look at the church as we were told, you know, even as recently as 50 years ago or, or in the 1950s, for example, the church was essentially broke. And, and, and then what happened is that they brought in a new leadership team and a new leadership philosophy about growing the wealth of the church for the second coming of Christ. And, and, and that is something that has continued to grow on since that time. And as we're talking about its foundational beliefs, well, having money, uh, accumulating wealth has become one of their foundational beliefs. And it's something that they're doing tremendously, tremendously well. So in their dealings with us, um, they were always kind. Uh, when we would go to their temples to, to be taking some visuals you know, for, for our, our, our television investigation, whoever came out to talk to us, always tremendously cl- kind. Kind, considerate people with us, generous with their time. Uh, we never had a, a, a bad experience in that sense. So, so these are good neighbors. These are good people. These are people who be, who believe fundamentally that they are doing something good for the for their communities and 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 for the world. Um, and and at the same time, they're running a very very tight ship, and they want to keep running that ship and i think they really want to try to protect themselves from what they see as outside interference.
1: Yeah, i mean just to keep on that topic of outside interference. So i mean it's great to hear that you've had a friendly reception in your in your dealings with the church and obviously your angle on this issue is not to challenge the theological claims of the church or go at the church for their their doctrines you're purely interested in the financial aspects of it and a lot this unaccounted money and the tax system and things like that however when people tend to go for religious organizations i'm thinking scientology here primarily especially very wealthy religious organizations they can often find themselves in the crosshairs of some pretty obnoxious blowback i'm just wondering if you two have had any experience of that kind since you're publicly sort of uh, gone for the reputation of the church
0: not at all no like as mark said it that that uh, friendliness and, and respectfulness was right from the security guard at the front gates of the temple all the way up to the head of PR. Uh, there was not a conversation that didn't go as friendly as can be. Um, at the end of the day, we didn't get any really meaningful information. We weren't able to ask meaningful questions. Um, so there was a clear um, line there. But no, there, was, there were not, uh, we haven't faced threats of lawsuits or, or anything like that. Um, as you might have heard from other
2: churches like Scientology. But uh, I I will say that since uh, we don't go through all the correspondence that we receive here, sometimes we'll take a look at it, but not always. But uh, certainly there were a lot of uh, Mm. here in Canada members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who were very upset with our reporting, who took it very personally, who saw it as an attack on them and their church. And um, you're, you're right in saying we, we this was not about religion. This was about money. This was about tax exempt status. This was about you know the current tax laws and whether they are accurate. are They're still uh, applicable for what, as one of our characters says, as an institution that he describes as a, a giga church that has become so big is we're not talking about should we change the tax-exempt status for you know the the local church that you've got around the corner that may have a leaky roof that that you know that may have fewer and fewer parishioners that's trying to help with uh, outreach programs or or or, or serving a soup kitchen for people who need it. We're not talking about taking tax-exempt status away for these struggling institutions. Is do these giga churches as, as 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 Lars Nielsen one of our characters described it do these giga churches still deserve tax exempt status when they're operating fundamentally as a business when they're landowners when, when, when they're they're property owners but they're not uh, sub- subjected to the same tax laws as other companies that are land o- uh, landowners and and property owners and and business and shopping mall owners they don't play by the same rules and yet they're playing in the same game so that's really the fundamental question that people are are looking at and the idea uh, as timothy was mentioning before about truth and transparency are you hiding things because because you're trying to withhold this from your members are you hiding things from the public because you're trying to deceive the public That's a question that a lot of the the members of the church had. Is there, is this the fundamental reason why you're doing this? Are are you holding back information from from your parishioners because you think it'll stop them from donating? Or are you withholding this information because you feel that you will open yourself to that kind of criticism, to that kind of scrutiny that will be bad for the operation of the church and bad for the bottom line? In in, in in what has become a really, a, a business-like church. And if it's bad for the bottom line, then maybe they don't wanna make these things public. Well, and, and as Mark was saying, that
0: as that's exactly what our story was about, but we did get a, a good number of letters after the story went to air from people who didn't see it that way, who saw it as an attack on their institution, their religion. Um, but I mean, I think from, Somebody who you watched it, you you didn't see it as a story about the religion. You saw it as a story about money and finances, and that was our intent, um, and we think we succeeded with that.
1: What does um, an angry Canadian sound like, though? I'm struggling to process that image.
0: <laughs> they exist. Trust me, they exist. We get our uh, fair share of them here at our show.
2: Um, but It's one thing to be an angry Canadian. It's, it's another thing to be an angry Canadian member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day. Like, <laughs> you've never met... A, more, a, a kinder angry person in your life.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. So, I mean, we've got a few minutes left. those in the chat. We've been in dropping some comments. If you've got any questions you'd like to put to Timothy and Mark, put them in now and I'll, I'll, I'll try and get to the best ones in the time we have. might just be worth asking as well, where, where are we heading with this? What's the next point? Is there any sort of follow-up you expect to do? Is there any sort of dates on the horizon you're waiting for in terms of outcomes that might give us some more well, there, information? There are two,
0: yeah, there are two things I think that we are waiting for and people who are watching this closely are waiting for. One is there is there's a complaint that's been filed in the United States with the IRS with this question, should this $100 billion fund be tax exempt? We think that's still something that's being considered in the United States. Um, and then there's, a, there's also a question in Canada about this money that's moving between borders. Um, our tax authorities here have not confirmed if there is or is not an investigation, but of course we flagged this issue with them. Um, they seem to appear to be interested um, in the issue, and we'll definitely be asking them and watching whether they're going to they're going to look at this or not for sure.
1: Excellent. So we've had an interesting question here, I suppose, and I know nothing about cryptocurrency, but Fred's asked, do the LDS own Bitcoin? And I suppose for an organisation that's very financially savvy, it might be possible that that's something they'd be involved in.
2: I couldn't say. Yeah, we, well, we, we, we didn't we, go there. We did get an idea of of some of their holdings that came through the the complaint to the IRS, the, the Internal Revenue Service, the, the tax watchdog in the United States. Uh, we did get an idea of some of their por- portfolio. Uh, I saw nothing about crypto or, or Bitcoin. It's not to say it's not there. We didn't see it in, in any of the filings that we saw.
1: So, I mean, is it is it possible now, I mean, the you know, the always say two things are inevitable death and taxes. If they are found guilty of wrongdoing, we're talking, you know, hefty fines and potential jail time for individuals involved.
2: I don't think jail time. I think what we we, we would be looking at would be fines. I mean, that that's certainly with that that IRS, Well, you think there could be jail time? I just know that the IRS takes their taxes very seriously. Mm-hmm. In
0: Canada, you wouldn't get jail time for something like this. I And I'm not an expert in the US system. I just know they don't mess around there, the IRS. Um, but, yeah. yeah. But, but, but probably not. The,
2: the,
1: the... Americans always go too far. That's, that's the general. <laughs> well, they,
2: they, <laughs> in the complaint that's been filed with the IRS by a former insider who was who was working on the with the, their wealth management. He's the one who's filed the complaint with the IRS. And he says that tax should be paid on that one hundred billion dollars and that he should also get uh, a, a portion of, of the benefit from that if, for the money that would be paid to the the. Uh, U.S. Treasury, that he would also receive a portion of that uh, because he was the one who, uh, as as a whistleblower, who brought this complaint to light. So there's a lot of money on the line for not only the church, the U.S. public treasury, but also for the individual, the whistleblower in this case.
1: Right, sounds like it's gonna get very interesting very quickly. Um, gentlemen, I've, I've really, really enjoyed speaking to you. You're clearly very diligent and, and know exactly what you're talking about in regards to the church and, the, and their finances, and I enjoyed your expose as well. Maybe you could just tell people a bit more about where they can find more of your work or what to look at if you want to follow up on this story a bit more.
0: Absolutely, you can go to YouTube and uh, search Fifth Estate and you'll see all of our stories will populate. We have a YouTube channel. Um, if, you, if you just Google search Fifth Estate Mormon Church, this this will come up. You can watch it on uh, all of our programs are on YouTube. That's the best way for an international audience to uh, watch what we do.
1: What for people who are unfamiliar with the Fifth Estate, what sort of uh, things would you point to as a, as a good way in to to your work? What other subjects have you covered that you're particularly proud of?
0: There really isn't a subject we probably haven't covered um, at the Fifth Estate. Um, I mean, much like Panorama, we we cover politics, we cover corruption, we cover you know um, sexual assault, we cover uh, we cover tax evasion, you name it, we've covered it. Um, murder definitely is one of our mainstays, of course. Um, you'll find it all.
1: That that was a curveball, I have to say. Just just murder thrown in there. <laughs> so, are these like are these like cold cases you look at, or definitely? Yeah. Mark
0: recently worked on a cold case. Yeah, we do cold cases for sure.
1: Excellent. Well, I'll be sure to check out uh, that myself as well, because I, re- I really enjoy your work, and I'm I'm always a big fan of seeing journalism done in a way that's professional and couched in in caveats, and you're not too overconfident in saying what you don't know, I really appreciate that kind of objectivity. So uh, thank you both for coming on. I've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you.
2: Nice your time, Stephen, we appreciate it. Yep, thanks, Stephen, take care.
1: You too, thank you.